there. This is Cassia. And this is Brian. Welcome to The Oven Hawk, a podcast discussing Star Wars news and Knights of the Old Republic. Spoiler alert for the Knights of the Old Republic series and the Star Wars films, TV shows, and all other media. This is where the fun begins. All right, so all the way back from episode 32, we had Dennis on, and guess who's back? It's Dennis. It's me. Yeah. It's Dennis. For those who didn't listen to episode 32, could you uh, give an introduction to who you are? Yeah, so my name's Dennis S. Mowers. I am a composer for film, video games, all sorts of types of media. Yeah, and... Dennis is the person in the world who I think probably knows the most about KOTOR music outside of the original composers, and he's very talented. You should follow him uh, when we end the episode. Like, you can track where he's going, and, like, he's going places, so we're, we're happy to have him on again. So, in episode 32, we talked all about KOTOR music. Were there any songs you feel like we missed? That you were like, why didn't we talk about that one? Well, Tatooine, I guess. <laughs> you know, we really, we really didn't bring that up, did we? Um, I think Tatooine. we talked about the Anchorhead kind of street fight. And we're like, that kind of sounds like a little bit like Ray's theme. Even though it was like, you know, before Ray. And a little bit of like maybe some sand crawler themes. But I think we... We forgot to talk about the Tatooine slash Ebon Hawk theme. And are those the same theme? Like, yeah. Okay. So. I don't think it should have been. But especially, you know, when you go over to KOTOR 2 and uh, it's got this like beautiful theme, which, you know, fits, of course, the tone of that game. But the first game, it's just, it's, it's odd to have. You know, all these specific tracks for specific places. And then, you know, the place that you're probably going to be most in the game, I would assume, you know, Evan Hawk. Yeah. And you have this just, you don't have special music for it. You don't have specific uh, a theme for it or anything. In the in the first game, what do you think it would sound like? Like, what kind of tone do you think it would have? To be honest, I'm not really sure. Because, well, you know, the sec- the second game... It's a much more cinematic experience when you're on the ship because you get all these like different cutscenes with characters and um but the first game it's mostly just a method of transportation. Yeah. And so it's not like, you know, maybe even something like you know how later in the game they play just the, the old republic theme? Yeah. Maybe even that. That would have be been honest. better. Just something that feels more like okay, yeah, we're on this mission to defeat the Sith, which yeah. Yeah, because pretty much, I mean, you get on to the Ebon Hawk and, you know, you're fleeing Terrace and then, you know, towards the end of the game, uh, you know, you have some malfunction and end up crashing the Ebon Hawk. But like you said, yeah, it's mostly just a means of transportation. So I don't know. It'd be hard to place a theme kind of on what's going on on board the Ebon Hawk. 
Yeah, it's definitely not as important of a... Um, I don't want to say important, but not... it. The second game almost treats the ship like its own character, in a way. But, the, yeah, the first game, it's definitely just, you know, point A to point B. It's like, uh, it's like the 94 Corolla of the Star Wars universe <laughs> in that way. Yeah, because I do... Uh, like on the Ebonhawk Instagram, sometimes I do like little mood boards or aesthetics and like, I was like, ah, should I do one for the Ebonhawk and Knights of the Old Republic? I was like, maybe I will, but like, there wasn't as much personality, you know? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the second one definitely does. And like, even with like T3M4, like, it, I think some things that were just kind of like Star Wars, uh, window dressing like in Knights of the Old Republic 1 were were given a lot more thought like in Knights of the Old Republic 2 and oh yeah it's night and day yeah night and day so and I love both of the Knights of the Old Republic's like that's why we named our podcast after the Ebonhawk because like Knights of the Old Republic 1 and 2 shares the Ebonhawk but there's things like give and take from both games but, you know, like, we have, like, 70-plus episodes of Knights of the Old Republic content, so we're kind of invested, you know? But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's no turning back now. That's right. Yeah, so you are a video game composer, and yes. do you want to just introduce, like, uh, pitch your project? Um, yeah, so I, you, may have, you may have seen something called KOTOR Live. Um, if, if you listened to the previous episode I was on, uh, we we talked about it there too, and um, this is it's just a project to take some of the more popular tracks from Knights of the Old Republic soundtrack and uh, record it with live instruments. And it didn't happen the way that I envisioned it would happen, just because you know the world went into chaos, and uh, so I planned on doing it actually live in in my school's studio. Um, and now I think a good portion of it's going to be done remotely. And I actually did start that very recently, start the recording process. Um, because I did, back when I had access to the studio, I recorded guitar, actually, for one of the tracks. And that was the only thing that I recorded ever for KOTOR Live. Because <laughs> I was going to actually record everything from March to May of 2020 and Obviously, that didn't happen. But, uh, yeah, I actually just recorded the cello solo um, for Bastila's theme and put that in today. Oh, cool. And uh, I'm waiting on the live strings to come back, uh, like the file for those, for the Old Republic, Terrace, Upper City, and Bastila. Oh, awesome. So it has started. Awesome. Yeah, very cool, yeah. What was the guitar for, out of curiosity? Yeah, um, Auto City. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah, I, I put acoustic guitar in, um, just as an, almost like an experiment, but yeah, it, it worked. Yeah, so. I mean, that sounds like a, a good pairing, like Auto City with guitar, honestly. Um, yeah, I mean, with the water and everything, it almost gives it a kind of like uh, beach vibe, makes me think of... Uh, What's that Zelda track? I'm might be thinking of like Lake Hylia or something from Twilight Princess. I don't know. I should probably know that, but I don't. I'm sitting here drinking out of a Zelda mug, so yeah. <laughs> and then you're also helping us Kotor Lo-Fi, and 
you uh yes that was it's been interesting so far it's funny because like we were asking for your help with it and then like later that that, that same day you're like oh is this good and it's like oh just a little tweaks and then I'm <laughs> like wow this is like actually perfect like exactly what i thought like kotor lo-fi would sound like so yeah because i mean like yeah you asked you asked um you brought it up like what what would kotor lo-fi sound like and i'm like that's interesting. So I spent the day thinking about it. And then you actually asked, like, hey, can you do this? And I'm like, I have ideas already. Like, <laughs> this is great. So yeah, Cassia sent me a note and said that she'd asked you about it and that you, you know, that you didn't have, you know, any you know, experience uh, working with it. And then like later that day we got it. I was like, this is a, this is amazing. So <laughs> yeah. And I was mentioning to, to Brian, like, I was like, when, Karth says, like, I don't want to talk about it, but it's, like, part of, like, the Terrace Upper City lo-fi. And it's, like, that's the apotheosis of what everything we're doing with this podcast. And, like, it was just <laughs> really fun to listen to and really captures kind of just, like, the the lo-fi kind of sound of, like, KOTOR. And so, spoiler alert, our patrons on Patreon uh, have been kind of helping us. They've been voting and kind of, like, with their through their monetary support we've been able to kind of like kind of get these tracks coming out and mm -hmm. they've been voting on like which tracks to kind of adapt and the second track that we're kind of just kind of I'm saying we're kind of working on but it's mostly just Dennis working on it you know yeah and, yeah we're we're doing very little of we're of just this, like, to be like honest. hey you know but like so the the second track is, is like the Sith slash and our spire theme and like we're we're pumped for that so that's gonna be really interesting yeah um you know Ter terrace upper city was kind of like you know laid back to begin with yeah mm -hmm. it's gonna be a process trying to get that with like a lo-fi feel yeah but it's it's a it's a challenge i'm definitely willing to accept so yeah definitely and like old republic theme like uh kind of like the starting music like maybe mm -hmm. it would be a little bit easier but like you have to kind of give props because Knights of the Old Republic, it doesn't begin like with like just little baby starter music or like kind of a tutorial. It's just like, boom, you are in the Old Republic and you have to deal with it, you know? like. I mean, yeah, this game just, it, it just starts. Yeah. Like, hey, you know how this is Star Wars? Well, here's a war <laughs> in the stars. Have fun with it. Yeah. Have fun. You have no idea what's going on or where you're at, but. <laughs> yeah. And definitely later down the line, like, We'll get to all the cool tracks and like Bastila's theme. I think is like made to be a, a lo-fi track, so don't worry. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. This 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 game's soundtrack in general, uh, especially compared to the second one, just because this was made by Jeremy Soule and he did um, you know the other Elder Scrolls games as well. Mm -hmm. He has a very specific style, and he uses his own sampling libraries that he that he made himself, which is why nothing else sounds like his soundtracks. Yeah. Um, it's it. No matter how organic it's meant to sound, it's always going to have this weird synthetic sound, and that's just part of um, his identity as a composer. Yeah. So it, it fits well for lo-fi because of that, I think. Yeah. So thanks for your contribution to like making that possible, and thanks to all of our uh, patrons on Patreon who are kind of helping us kind of move that project forward. So like. Maybe one day there will be KOTOR Live and then KOTOR Lo-Fi. And yeah, so it's pretty fun. Um, 
were you also wanting to plug uh, your project, your your capstone project, Dennis? Oh yeah, honestly, I'm, I'm, I kind of forgot about that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I I have one year left to grad school, so it's uh, I'm doing my capstone, and I am uh, looking for a game to score. I'm gonna do it for free, just because it's for uh, an educational purpose but yeah i'm going to be working with uh, my advisor on the project is going to be pat Irwin, who uh did the music for rocco's modern life um a couple of other shows like nurse jackie and was a member of the b52s so it's going to be a super fun time and if you are a game developer reach out to me and we can talk about uh what we can do for your game so and brian before we move on did you kind of want to talk about t-shirts uh, yeah, absolutely. So we've got a couple of new additions to the Ebonhawk merchandise store. Um, so if you've seen, we've been talking uh, the last couple of weeks, we had our t-shirts in there. So we've got those available in a bunch of colors. So blue, brown, green, black, navy, uh, like a pink and purple color, red, yellow, and white. And we also added some hats uh, about a week ago, uh, which are pretty awesome. And as of recording today, our first uh, Ebonhawk logo pins went for sale. Uh, so those are on the merchandise website. So definitely go check those out. They turned out really good. Uh, we we're very excited to have those in the store. We were excited about the way they turned out. So uh, definitely go check out the merchandise shop. Uh, you can find that link on our uh, Instagram bios. Um, and also uh, you can just go to it. It's ebonhawkpodcast.square.site and have a look and see what you think. I'm waiting for uh, an Ebonhawk podcast bumper sticker. Oh, there you go. So uh, everyone on the road can know that uh, that I'm a huge nerd. <laughs> yeah, it's it's gonna it's just gonna say my co-pilot is Cartho Nassi. And... There we go. Well, now we've talked about uh, some of Dennis's music and uh, mentioned in episode 32, we totally skipped over the Tatooine uh, Ebon Hawk song. But now, uh, here for this episode, we're back on Tatooine. So uh, why don't we talk about it a little bit? So we get to Tatooine. Uh, it's going to start off our second sort of film adaptation that we've got going on here. So we get there, uh, land in Anchorhead. There's some side quests that we need to sort of sort out. So there's uh, Basila's mother's side quest. There's Candorus' side quest. Um, you know, so we have some loose ends to tie up for the party. But uh, kind of the big priority on Tatooine is that we need to go and find the star map. So how are we going to get there? It's out in the Dune Sea. We're going to have to uh, pick up HK-47 so we can do some translating for us with the Tusken Raiders. And they're going to, you know, help us find where this cave is that's being guarded by a very big, very scary crate dragon. Uh, we're going to, of course, slay the crate dragon, uh, get our uh, crate pearl, and uh, head out of Tatooine. You know, mission accomplished. But uh, how are we going to adapt this cinematically? Uh, Dennis, if you're watching a movie uh, about Knights of the Old Republic and we get to Tatooine, what do you think it should look like or what parts of the story are you most interested in seeing on Tatooine? Um, well, definitely, okay, because Tatooine has some of the richest history 
in all of Star Wars, you know, it's like it's the Star Wars planet, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that uh, that you definitely have to to go the route of what A New Hope and the Phantom Menace did, where you really just show like, you know, the gritty the town and all this crazy stuff's happening in the background and all these you know, different aliens are walking around and stuff. You need to introduce this as a place that's, it's just a backwater planet that nobody wants to be on. Mm -hmm. You need to start with that, you know? Yeah, definitely. Because always in every, uh, every time that Tatooine appears, it's always more than meets the eye. There's always something like a hidden gem there. And, you know, in this case, it's going to be the star map. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, there's always kind of like a like a hidden underbelly to uh, what's going on in Tatooine that we see, for sure. So, uh, yeah, I, this is going to be our first actual look at Anchorhead, um, I believe, um, at least on film. So it's been mentioned, and we've seen you know some of the other towns, but our first look into Anchorhead. So when I think about the way that this is going to look, I think that since it is set so far in the past, I almost think of it as being set up as more of like a medieval type of a city. So kind of tight, narrow uh, streets, little stalls. Um, I mentioned it in a previous episode, kind of, you know, these stalls kind of carved out of the stone as opposed to uh, being fabricated, like what we'd see in most Isley. But yeah, just kind of a medieval uh, city type of a feeling. Um, And in the game, it is kind of that right like it's a walled city like you go out of the city walls to get out to yeah you have to have a permit to leave yeah Yeah. so so that's that's kind of how i see it uh visually um and as far as like the you know the crew of the ebon hawk you know the team there in tattooing i think that we need to kind of split up the characters a little bit so you know maybe some of them can you know hunt for clues or take care of some of these other side quests um to try to figure out where we're going, you know, on Tatooine, we've got to figure out where the star map is. Um, I like the idea of we don't know exactly where it is. Um, in the game, you kind of get a vision that you know, leads you to this cave, but I think maybe we have to do a little bit more detective work. Yeah, because, I mean, a cave can be anywhere. Yeah, I- exactly. So on, on the entire planet, so. <laughs> yeah, the whole thing might be a cave out under the Dune Sea for sure. So, um, But, yeah, I think kind of splitting up the team a little bit, giving everyone kind of little sort of mini missions to go on, and uh, that kind of keeps the storylines flowing and developing the characters a little bit more. And then I, I also think that we get a pretty heavy uh, sort of presence from the Zerka Corporation. Um, I don't know kind of what their role is going to be. I don't, maybe they're, uh, maybe our reason for going out to the Tuscan Raider camp is that they're, you know, trying to wipe that out or take over it to build a settlement. And maybe we kind of interfere with that. I don't know if that's too similar to what was going on in Kashik, but I think that uh, Zerka is going is to, is this after Kashik? Going to be there. And our film adaptation, yeah, was so we end the first film oh, okay. with Kashik and then we start the second one uh, here on Tatooine. Uh, it, that's, not how most people play the game, but we think for a film that that makes a little bit more sense. Um, uh, what do you, what do you think, Cassia? How do you envision Tatooine? So, like for me, Tatooine has been on film like a lot. So I'm like, how do we make this different? And like, part of me is like maybe able to contemplate KOTOR like treason and be like 
what if it were like Jetta or something? But I'm like, no, it probably has to be Tatooine because it's Tatooine, you know? Mm. But I'm just like, what I'm concerned about is like just trying to make it visually interesting and not feel stale or just like we're retreading uh, just kind of like old, kind of like here's a Tusken Raider, here's a Jawa, you know? Right. Like kind of just to be like, ka-ching, nostalgia bucket, you know? Um, but I, I like what you say about like kind of making Anchorhead feel like a medieval city, kind of like, and part of me kind of just thinks about like to give it a little bit more personality, what if it's like the stucco is like colored mm, to mm-hmm. kind of give it more of an identity than just like it's sand colored deal with it, you know? Um, and I think like the main side quest that would kind of take up the bulk of uh, our time like on Tatooine, like of course there would be like the sand people and a bit of the Jawas, but I would say like I'm excited to talk to Huni D, but I, I just think that uh, the the Tuscan Raider side quest is like the main reason why I would want to keep keep it Tatooine rather than maybe going to Jeddah, mm-hmm. you know, or another desert planet or just another planet, you know. Um, but I think like you want to introduce HK47. I'm sure like some Disney executives would be like, but we want to sell the Funko Pop. With the first film, how do we do that? And it's like, just be patient, you know, for the story. But um, I think, like, the main side quest that matters a lot is, like, kind of giving Candorous something to do because, like, I'm kind of like, why does he want to be there? Like, mm-hmm. you know, like, and then, like, having uh, Basila meet her mom, maybe, like, saying, like, oh, Candrus is being dragged down by his past. He should really let that go, you know? Or, like, Basla is probably saying something about, like, oh, Jedi can't have attachments and families. And, you know, that's the wisdom of the Jedi. And then, like, maybe she's, like, tapped on the shoulder and it's like, hey, your mom is here. And it's just like, what? Like, I, I just think that would be funny. Well, how is this? Um, I, I assume, like, a lot of the conversations have already happened, you know, between Bastila and, like, you know, play, player character or whatever the character's name happens to be mm-hmm. um, about like you know talking about her mother and stuff like that right they've already yeah so I don't know I, and also on, on the topic of Candorous it's always kind of seemed like in this game he really doesn't have much of a motivation like the yeah. second game does a good job of like giving every character pretty much like something to do or like some you know they're there there's there there's a reason like in the narrative that they're there mm-hmm. um for the whole time but yeah candorous is just kind of chilling on the ebon hawk uh making some stims <laughs> right I don't know. yeah after after we get him off of terrace yeah there's not really a good reason that he stays around but uh maybe he's just uh just hungry for some action i guess maybe yeah and i did like what you'd mentioned Dennis about seeing you know all sorts of different uh, aliens and creatures and animals and Anchorhead um, because like you said that is kind of an, an important aspect of Tatooine. We probably really haven't had that yet in this story because you know we had different aliens like separated on Terrace right mm-hmm. with like the the segregated areas. Um, Dantooine you know get the the occasional alien here and there but um, then Kashyyyk's just mostly Wookies. Um, 
and this is the first time we get this like you know this hub of different people all just like co-mingling and it almost seems like Tatooine is kind of like a um like a fledgling operation here right mm -hmm. like everyone's trying to like make the most of this this dust ball and right yeah exactly almost like the uh the 49ers um you know mining in the mid 19th century yeah for sure and maybe that's kind of what you could lean on with the Zerka Corporation. Like, they're really trying real hard to get Anchorhead set up as some sort of, like, port city. Yeah. Um, so you get sort of that that vibe. It's just set in the middle of this, you know, completely desolate wasteland of a planet. So, uh, but yeah, I think I think that that could, that could be interesting yeah. for sure. I mean, for me, like, I would mainly kind of have Zerka be in their first film and, like, uh, just so Dennis, like, kind of knows what we were kind of talking about, like, our hypothetical, you know, just kind of mm -hmm. like us talking, like, first film is, like, starts on Terrace. Terrace is kind of a tragedy, and then there's, like, the Dantooine midpoint where you kind of introduce the Force, and then there is a victory on a jungle planet, so it's kind of like, because, like, Terrace and Kashyyyk kind of deal with a lot of the same problems, and there's, like, different levels, and... Uh, kind of like jungles and cities are kind of like sometimes people are like oh it's a concrete jungle or like I don't know like so it kind of just felt like a little bit like a like a mirror like Terrace and Kashyyyk and then it's kind of like we kind of wanted the the first film to kind of end on a high note and then like the second film kind of like we kind of go Tatooine, Manon, Leviathan. So it's like it kind of ends, it starts okay, then it ends like, you know, kind of like with the kind of major cliffhanger. But that's what we were kind of thinking of. So. Yeah, I, I definitely yeah. see that. And in my head, I've tried to like, you know, be like, oh, what if there were books of KOTOR? And I, I split it up a certain way, you know, mm -hmm. make a trilogy. And uh, it's a lot harder with the, sec the second game. But. For the first one, I think it works pretty well, leaving like the whole like Empire Strikes Back kind of like, oh, they took Bastila, kind of like how they took Han, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, playing on that uh, yeah sort of uh, you know the struggle of the second act there for sure. All right. Well, one thing we're not going to struggle doing on Tatooine is getting HK forty seven because he wouldn't allow that. Um, in the game, we get HK-47 from, like, a droid shop on the street. We have to buy him. Uh, Dennis, do you have any better ideas on how we would meet up with HK-47 on Tatooine as opposed to, uh, you know, just running across him in a junk shop? Or uh, do you think that's the best way to go about it? I think that might be the best way to go about it because if you really think about it, he he's he's comic relief, right? He's, like, dark comedy. Mm -hmm. So it's, like, it's it's just that much funnier like the way he's introduced is not like you know this this like assassin or anything he's just like hey please buy me i promise i won't kill you <laughs> right like i could kill everything else around me but i promise i won't kill you right master like you know it's it's just funny to me i think i think that it's good the way it is <laughs> yeah yeah i kind of i kind of go back and forth on on it whether i think that that's a good way in a movie to do it but i th i think that i finally uh, settled settled on a good way to do it uh, without necessarily going and buying him, but still having him be at the droid shop and kind of getting him involved early on. So we get to anchorhead. Um, I, 
I see like maybe you know Revan and Bastler, you know Revan and whoever kind of walking through town, and they walk by the Stroid shop, and HK is just kind of standing there, uh, you know, silent, not activated. Um, and when Revan walks by, hears him say something, and he kind of comes to life, and uh, he says something like HK forty seven would say, like he says like surprise reaction, my master has returned, uh, or something like that. And uh, then I think you could you know, kind of have a little bit of a comedic moment. So maybe he's like trying to leave and the, the droid shop owner is trying to stop him. And he has like a restraining bolt on it. And, uh, and you see HK like grabbing the restraining bolt and taking it off and, <laughs> you know, telling him that he's uh, leaving or else uh, something like that. And then he's just kind of following along behind us on Anchorhead before he's able to actually, you know, catch up with us at, at some point when the group's taking a rest and then we're actually introduced to him. But, you know, as the audience, we get to see him uh, kind of playing through this uh, a little bit, kind of, you know, going through the city there. Cassio, what do you, what do you think? Is HK at the uh, junk shop or uh, is there a different way to meet him? I have two ideas in mind. Like maybe they stumble on mm-hmm. HK 47 like in the midst of kind of like the adventure and it's like, who are you? And it's like HK 47. Uh, I have liberated myself from my master and they're like, um, what does that mean? Or something uh, like, they're like, did you kill him? Or like, <laughs> right. what? Like, or, or maybe there's like, you know, like uh, some dark Jedi confront you in tattooing and it's like, droid, do something. And it's like, you have to buy me first. And then it's like, I don't know. They have to like, complete the transaction like and it's like you didn't put the credit card all the way and it's like you need to sign and then i don't know yeah i was kind of just thinking of that but i think like with hk47 you kind of want his memory wiped uh to kind of mirror uh revan's memory being wiped and then like kind of like when that after that reveal on the leviathan then he would mm-hmm. remember but mm-hmm. that's just me yeah i kind of like the idea of uh, Revan having left him to guard the star map. Um, so when we get there, we meet him. But I think, uh, like Dennis said, he's there kind of for comedic relief and to have, you know, kind of this uh, vocal droid in the party. So I think getting him there earlier and giving him sort of uh, some sort of humorous way to be introduced is probably the best way to go, at, at least for yeah. me anyway, so. I mean, he does. He does talk about uh, crushing Yukalaka's neck quite a bit. Yeah. So <laughs> exactly. <laughs> maybe frying his master wouldn't be the worst way to do it. Yeah. Uh, so, so one of the uh, little side quests that you get in uh, Tatooine, really, you get it on kind of any of the planets, no matter which one you go to. But uh, <laughs> on board the Ebon Hawk, there are some uh, little pest-like creatures that seem to keep sprouting up and multiplying. Uh, they're called Gizka. Uh, Dennis, do you deal with these creatures at all if you're playing through the game, or uh, how do you how do you get rid of them? And do you think that they play a critical role in our story here? I, I think that it's honestly more comic relief. It's 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 very prequel, mm-hmm. like very like Phantom Menace, you know, um, which is not not a bad thing. Uh, it's it's fun. It's just funny to me. That's it. <laughs> I, I especially just like the fact that you can interact with them in the game and there's, you know, you don't really do anything with them. <laughs> you can, you can like kill them and another one just pops up and you're like, all right, I guess this interaction was useless. Yeah. 
and they're just there the whole time unless you can sell them to somebody or yeah that yeah you can keep talking to them and they just kind of look at you it, it is it yeah. is kind of funny and like you're not really given any sort of uh clear direction on what to do with them so in the game the side quest is called the trouble with gizka which is a play on a star trek episode which was called the, the trouble, trouble with tribbles, tribbles. Yeah. yeah um and i actually i just finished a playthrough of knights of the old republic not too long ago and i completely forgot what i was supposed to be doing with these things and i ended up uh, i they all uh, met their met their end aboard the Ebon Hawk. I think uh, some something came up Aww. and got them. I don't I don't know if we need to see them necessarily. Maybe maybe we see one kind of yeah, not really. Maybe we c- could see one like scampering like around in the spaceport, you, you know, in uh, Tatooine or something. And maybe uh, someone says, "Oh, it looks like you know whatever part of the ship had been uh, being chewed up by some Gizka or something." But I don't know that they really need to come on board and uh, be an active part of the story, but maybe you could just drop a little a little nugget for, uh, you know, all the Gizka fans yeah. out there for sure. There's definitely some things in yeah. this game that are obviously just meant to be like, you know, let's see what the player can do with this. There's there's a few different options, but, like, it has nothing to do with the story. Right. Because, you know, also there's, like, yeah. um, Sasha. Oh, yeah. Like the, yeah. Oh, boy. The possessed, possessed child. child. <laughs> well, she just sounds like, you know, a 30-year-old, and I'm like, okay, this child <laughs> freaks me out. But, yeah. But... <laughs> what, what, about, uh, what about you, Cassia? Do you think the Gizka are important? Should we have a couple keep them as pets? They're, they're kind of like the um, porgs of uh, Knights of the Old Republic, right? They're not as cute, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I... I think they're adorable but like i don't think they they're quite needed maybe like you can like when you're escaping terrorists you can be like you landed on dantooine and it's like wow we made it and then like you disembark and then it's like what is that it's like oh it's a gizka well it's gone now you know and like maybe like on terrorists like maybe davik or candorous are like oh we need to buy more uh gizka repellent mm-hmm. or something or uh, something, but maybe it could be like a a snack, you know, in the Kotor era, or like, you know, like at Galaxy's Edge, they have a Ronto wrap. Maybe like oh. you can buy a Gizka wrap on a, another planet, you know, and maybe have some synergy, get some Gizka merch and food options, you know, at, yeah. at Galaxy's Edge. <laughs> uh, but I'm not really, I'm not like. The Gizka need to appear for it to be a authentic cinematic experience. Right. Um, I could see Gizka being on the ship and it just driving Candorous absolutely bananas that he can't get rid of these things. That could be pretty fun. So he's just like running around, like punting <laughs> them like a football. <laughs> exactly. I, oh I, I could see. I could see that oh, going no. on. But but I'm with you, Cassie. I'm... End credits. Like no Gizga were harmed during the making of this film. <laughs> Right, exactly, and yeah, yeah, definitely always down for some uh, Gizka merch. So uh, if we need to have them in the movie to get some of that going on, I'm I'm there for that. So, and I just want to try. I when I was at Galaxy's Edge, I should have gotten the Ronta wrap, and now I'm like, darn it, I should have gotten that. And now I just want to have something Knights of the Old Republic at at Galaxy's Edge, and it would yeah. be fun. It's definitely all right. Uh, well, we've talked a little bit about kind of what's going on on Tatooine. So something that we struggle with when we're thinking about 
doing this as a film. So we've seen Tatooine on, uh, you know, episode four, episode six, episode one and two. We've seen it in The Mandalorian now. So how is Tatooine going to look different and feel different so it doesn't just feel like, Oh, here, here we go again. It's time to time to mm. you know roll roll out the uh, tattooing footage. Do you have any thoughts in mind about what's going to make this iteration of tattooing feel a little bit different than what we've seen before? So it doesn't feel like we're treading water too much. For for me, it looks like tattooing is again. It's it's in like its baby stages, right? Mm-hmm. Like people are just starting to show up, and they you know they heard there was you you know. Not like literally, but like gold, you know. Um, so it's it doesn't seem like it's like a a crime hub like it is later, right? Or like you know you know slavery and all this kind of stuffs happening in the, in the films. This is much more of a um, like a prospectors kind of kind of town, and I, I definitely think that could give it a different sort of vibe. Yeah, I, I agree. I think just having it you know feel really old and more of kind of of this ancient city kind of gives it a little bit of a different feeling um, from most Eisley and most Espa, most Pelgo, uh, you know, the places that we've seen before. For me, I think the harder part is to make the interactions with the Tuscan Raiders feel different because we had something very similar to that happen in the uh, first episode of this last season of the Mandalorian where he is, you know, talking to the Tuscan Raiders at their camp and they're figuring out how to deal with this crate dragon. So I think that that part is trickier. Um, I think we could dif- differentiate a little bit. Um, and similar to what we see in the game is instead of the Tuscan Raiders being kind of like these nomad uh, kind of people, uh, maybe it's more of like an established society. So when in the game you go out and it's like a, it's like a big like encampment that they have. So I think having like an actual like Tuscan Raider village that we're going to and visiting will give it a little bit of a different feel. What do you think, Cassia? How is tattooing going to look and feel different this time around? I would just hope to like let it breathe for mm-hmm. a thousand years. Like it's not going to be the same planet. Like I mean, it might have the same biome and weather, but uh, let it feel like. I mean, just think about like our our planet. Like four thousand years ago, a lot looked different. Like let it just. It doesn't have to look completely alien from the films, but, like, just let it be different. Like, not everything needs to be Mm -hmm. uh, the same. Like, I believe if you do a lot of good world building and, like, with your marketing campaign, like, people would know it's 4,000 years different. So they're not going to be like, when does Luke show up in this and have a hallway scene? You know, like, um, I guess what I... I would be kind of worried about is like how do you make the the dragon showdown mm. you know different after the Mandalorian is like what if we did that you know just kind of copy and paste that and kind of do it the same mm-hmm. and it's like oh boy so like I don't know like I just kind of say like what about like three smaller crate dragons that aren't really like you know Dune you know like but kind of more like the reek that Anakin has to fight in the attack of the clones, kind of more like mm-hmm. a dragon dragon than you have knights fighting yeah. dragons. So well, canonically there are, you know, smaller crate dragons than that too. They, they even make mention in the, in KOTOR the fact that like, this is a huge crate dragon. <laughs> yeah. They'd never seen one that big. So 
Yeah, and I, I yeah. think you could play with so. the way the town looks. Uh, Cassie, you'd mentioned it earlier, playing with like different colored stucco. Uh, kind of what that reminds me of is if you think about uh, Egypt and you see like you know the sandstone like pyramids and uh, hieroglyphics and stuff. But if you see like any of the stuff that's been sealed off or any of like the renderings, like all of that stuff was painted you know, back when it was first made. So it would have looked way different, right? Like 2000 years ago than it does today. Uh, so I think you could do yeah. something real similar with Anchorhead without, uh, you wouldn't want to do it too much to, like you said, where it feels like an alien environment. Um, so it still feels like Tatooine, but I think you could definitely play on, you know, some of those kinds of things for sure. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, who lives on uh, Tatooine? Uh, it's the Jawas and Tuscans. We've kind of talked about the Tuscan Raiders and interacting with them. Uh, what about Jawas? Is there a good opportunity to interact with the Jawas? Uh, I mean, they'd probably be, you know, kind of scurrying about in Anchorhead, but are we going to have any actual um, sort of conversations, interactions uh, with these little guys? Come to think of it, you could involve them with the HK-47 introduction. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think kind of the most natural way and the way people would most expect it is that you're doing some sort of, you know, bartering with them for droid or for droid parts or something. Um, an idea I had was maybe um, we would, you know, talk with some Jawas about getting uh, transportation. Maybe they have like a speeder or a speeder bike for sale that we could uh, use to head out into the Dune Sea. But yeah, I think some sort of interaction with them would be good. Uh, what do you think, Cassia? Hey, do you have a do you have a speeder bike? No, we have a homicidal robot though. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, I mean, uh, we've been kind of making some little postcards for the um, Instagram page that can also work for like YouTube covers and mm -hmm. like future merch. But Astronautka Art made one for uh, Tatooine and it's just kind of funny because it has like HK-47 and like a Jawa is talking to HK-47 and I'm just like, oh, th that would actually be really fun to to see because it's like, oh no, like, like it would just be fun to like kind of be like, oh no, HK, like you need, to, it's kind of like sometimes they like, it's a, it's a little dog that like needs to learn not to like bark at like everything, right. you know, and it's like kind of just be like, oh, <laughs> no, chill out, chill out, HK, yeah. you know. One of the, one of the ideas I had, I don't know if it's too Easter eggy, but uh, Star Wars seems to be big on that these days. Maybe they're building the sand crawler when we meet them. They don't have it yet. It's uh, still under construction. Yeah. Well, I mean, the Mandalorian has shown us, like, Jawas live, like, on multiple planets, yeah. not just Tatooine. So, like, maybe it's, like, a, a KOTOR-era mm -hmm. sand crawler. So, like, it kind of has the same shape, but kind of, like, you know, kind of like how the, the Empire had, like, AT-ATs or AT-ATs. I, I, mm -hmm. I just Thank say Thank you for saying AT-ATs. It bothers me that they canonically say AT-ATs now. But, and then, like, the clone troopers have their own kind of tank, you know? It's like, but you can kind of see where where the idea came from. So I was like, oh, maybe, like, kind of, like, make it a, a KOTOR era, kind of same idea mm -hmm. of a sand crawler. Kind of like the Zirko one, maybe? So, yeah. Yeah, I, there you go. Yeah, that would be fine. And what about the Tusken Raiders? In, in the game, I think we... You have to take them. It's like a like a moisture evaporator or something like that um, that you end up taking out there to them, yeah. um, and they in turn kind of help you out and get you set back on your quest. Uh, is that something you'd like to see happen? What sort of interaction are we going to uh, have with the Tuscan Raiders in this game? 
or in the or in this film rather. I, I definitely think that uh, the the moisture evaporator thing is like you know, it's 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 kind of like in the Mandalorian, right? That you're gonna be seeing them in a light that you've never seen them before, right? Mm-hmm. So it's you're actually helping them, and they're not like this random enemy that's just gonna come out of somewhere and attack you like they are in like every other piece of Star Wars media. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think you know keeping the light side thing is is a good opportunity for it. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I think that they do kind of end up pointing us in the right direction. I'm I'm still a little foggy on how I think the introduction to them might be. I maybe we're just maybe we run into one in town or uh maybe we kind of stumble across their encampment on our way out through the Dune Sea. I'm not really sure, but yeah, I think that they play an important part and I think um like I mentioned earlier, I think it would be good to see them in sort of a different um, setting than what we're used to seeing them in. Uh, what do you think, Cassia? What about what about uh, the yeah. Tuscan Raiders in this film? Yeah, I think like I prefer the light side option, and I, I like that they're giving a lot more nuance. You know, in the Knights of the Old Republic side quest, and when we have Hunidi on next, we'll we'll kind of talk about like the the Tuscan Raider kind of side quest on Tatooine. They're given a lot of story that we can like kind of perspective that we haven't seen before and like they tell stories of like like how Tatooine used to be a a, used to be like kind of like a beautiful like garden Mm -hmm. planet and now it's now it's a desert. Before the Rakatans raised it. (laughs) Yeah and like the Jawas and the Tuscans used to be uh kind of of the same people and it kind of just reminds me of like uh oral storytellers and uh kind of like legends, you know? And I was like, oh, like, I really like that nuance. And that's why I, I'm drawn to keeping the Tatooine section of Knights of the Older Public. So, and can't wait to kind of discuss that more with Huni D because uh, I talked with Huni D um, about kind of like Kashyyyk's section and like kind of how like it's a mirror to like uh, the indigenous experience and then like uh, you kind of get that a bit with the the Tuscans in Knights of the Old Republic too as well. Yeah. So absolutely. Yeah. And before we make our way to get the star map and wrap up tattooing, there is a side quest uh, here that we uh, think is pretty important in terms of the story development and character development. Uh, but that is the interaction uh, with Bastila and uh, her mother. What do you think about that, Dennis? Is there a good way to uh, introduce this side quest? Um, do they just kind of run across one another, or does she know that she's there and uh, go to confront her? Or uh, what do you think about uh, that side quest and how it's going to fit into seeing Tatooine on film here? I like that she knows that um, that she's there. I, I, th- I think it gives um, a little bit more of a sense of a goal to Tatooine because otherwise, you know, you know that you're going to one place, right? Like, oh, in the game, it's, oh, she's in the cantina. Other than that, you're just kind of like going, okay, so there's a star map somewhere on this planet. I I don't know where it is, but it's somewhere in a cave, probably in the sand. And uh, I think that starting off, you know, with, oh, Basilisk Mother's over here actually gives you a set place that you need to go first mm-hmm. on Tatooine. 
that can kind of get the ball rolling for the rest of the events that happen on the planet. Yeah, I think that that's good. And I'd, I'd kind of mentioned before having the party split up a little bit and kind of go off and do their own things on their own mission. And I think that's what I want to see happen here. I don't know that Bastila necessarily knows that her mother is there, but maybe she it can kind of sense her uh, presence there you know, with her force abilities, or maybe she overhears... Um, I thought maybe she'd overhear like a Zerka official saying something about the, like that missing Shan guy, you know, something like that um, to, to kind of tip her off that she's there. But I think for me anyway, I think having her kind of have this confrontation with her mother uh, away from Revan and away from uh, Jolie or Juhani, if she's, you know, in the party, just kind of a one-on-one thing would be good because it gives a, uh, us an opportunity to kind of focus on Bastila and what she's going with. And it kind of keeps that hidden, at least for right now from, you know, the rest of the party. So it's going to be more of a surprise to them uh, at the end of uh, this uh, first film. Yeah. I mean, I kind of like have to just say that my, my fan cast for Helena Shan is actually Helena Bonham Carter. Uh, because I, I think it'd just be hilarious to um, have uh, Helena play Helena. Um, but kind of like one of my, my fan casts for Bastila was Vanessa Kirby. And like they kind of, Vanessa Kirby and Helena Bonham Carter kind of like both played Princess Margaret on the crown and like British brunette, mm-hmm. you know, kind of princess. Uh, so I was like, oh, that, that'd be kind of fun. But uh, I think like Star Wars is a soap opera and like, I think there's a lot of people who kind of forget it's like a fairy tale soap opera, you know, and it's like kind of what I see is like you kind of build a little like a bit of like a partnership friendship like and and the bond between Revan and Basila like there's a bit of an attraction, not like a full like full, you know, attack of the clones. It's more of just like a little bit like a little Mm -hmm. bit higher, you know, than A New Hope. I think it also changes a lot around the time of the revelation. Um, Just, you know, because now you realize that, like, Basila has been so involved in his life since, uh, you know, since before he had his memories erased. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, and not like entirely truthful, you know, so it kind of adds just like a a few more layers. Um, But like, really, she's the one who spared him and like kind of instigated like basically the whole plot of of the Old Republic. But I think with the second with the second film, like I would say, like, you kind of have to like kind of really have to humanize Basila because like I love the character Basila. But um, for a lot of people, she's just kind of like snooty and self-righteous. I'm like, well, what do you expect? Like by a sheltered, like Mm -hmm. messed up Jedi kid, (laughs) you know, like, uh and you kind of just have to humanize her and like kind of like this like it runs in her family like you know like she and helena have a lot in common she absolutely has anakin energy yeah um in terms of you know being told that she's like the one who has this ability like battle meditation is like being the chosen one and she obviously still has the connection with her with her mother Mm -hmm. yeah like, kind of, like, unresolved yes. issues. Like, I, it feels like Bastila was older, you know? Like, the way she kind of describes it. I'm like, was she, like, five, six, or seven? Like, she had to be older than, like, a two-year-old, you know? Like, she remembers mm-hmm. that. And 
I always kind of say, like, Bastila, like, I think she tries to present herself as, like, Obi-Wan, like, kind of like the dutiful Jedi. Not that they've ever met Anakin or Obi-Wan, but, like, kind of just, like, tries to present herself as, like, the, the dutiful Jedi, but it's, like, she's definitely the Anakin of the group. Like, she just doesn't yeah. know it, and, like, kind of, like, the, the council kind of likes to keep her, I think, kind of, like, she's kind of like an honor student you know like that's just trying really hard to do a certain thing and then it's like kind of like graduates and then kind of like does her own thing and like maybe it backfires you know and like just kind of hasn't learned uh a lot more like you know about like mm -hmm. what real life is like which is i don't know that's that's how i can see it but like you kind of just want to humanize Bastila and kind of like realize what makes her tick like she's not perfect but kind of humanize her it gives more human drama, you know, at stakes rather than be like, are we going to find a super old star mm -hmm. map or what? Yeah, yeah especially after the first film because she's presented pretty pretty much like this model Jedi. So to get kind of early in this one uh, would be good. And uh, so Basila's family is there because uh, her dad is looking for a treasure, right? Because they need to get, get some money for the family. Yeah. Um, and uh, we end up stumbling across him when we get to where the star map is in the crate dragon cave uh as far as the star map goes in the movie uh, what do you think that looks like is it going to be in a similar cave i know cassia you said you thought maybe a crate dragon cave with uh you know a couple of smaller crate dragons outside uh, what do you think dennis is the star map scene going to play out you know kind of similar to how it does in the game or uh, do you think you have uh, something different in mind? What do you think it looks like? I'd say so. I mean, it's... When you really think about it, it is it is different than what it is in The Mandalorian because the Krayt Dragon just happens to be there. But, like, it's the stuff that's inside the cave that they that they really need. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's not this huge battle that happens either. It's uh, It's just, you know bomb it and it's done <laughs> <laughs> right yeah i think having it in in that location's probably good um i kind of think maybe having like a smaller one and then a larger one uh so maybe we're able to uh, sort of sneak around a smaller one outside or fight the smaller one outside and then go in and get the star map and then we have the encounter with the uh larger crate dragon uh, outside on our way out uh, something like something like that. Um, I do think it would be um, kind of interesting and good good for the story if we, uh, like in the game, we find the the data pad from uh, Bastila's dad and maybe we come across a crate pearl and then on our way out of Anchorhead, Bastila can give that to her mom and say that her dad found it. Um, you know, before he before he met yeah. his end there in the cave. Uh, something like that, I think, could be interesting. What do you think, Cassia? Yeah. What do you think about that? And uh, how are your three miniature crate dragons gonna gonna meet the uh, crew here? Um, I kind of think it, there's like two levels to the cave. Like there's the natural cave, or at least maybe like uh, at least part of it's been closed off. I don't know if like whether by like native like Tatooineans, whatever that word is, um, or like just like maybe it's just been closed off due to nat nat mm -hmm. natural forces. Um, but like, I just kind of envision like three crate dragons at the top and then like you have to drop down 
and like maybe like Bastila Revan and HK47 are there and then like HK is like I'm just gonna march into this and then he falls and it's like wow is that the end of HK47 and it's like it takes more than that to kill me master and then it's like you should investigate down here and then it's like I just really want to embrace like space mm-hmm. archaeology and be like it's kind of like the Rakadin style is different from what we've seen like kind of embrace like the beauty of like renaissance or medieval mm-hmm. star maps you know which it's more artistic than be like here's this blinking dot wow such a blinking dot you know um i'm just more more of an art person you know and like maybe just make it feel like ancient egypt but star wars that's kind of what i was picturing when you're talking about that was like ancient egypt so maybe it is like a rakatan like a tomb or some sort of mine that they'd built there you know many many years prior to us showing back up and you know this crate dragon sort of just just moved in after it was abandoned so but i i kind of think like schrodinger's bastila's dad (laughs) you know and maybe bastila could have a could have a name you know and it's like they don't know if he's dead but i think the mom would be in a better position to be like I think he's dead, and then Bastel is like, no, I'd be able mm-hmm. to sense it. Like, I know he's alive, but, like, have to come up upon his corpse. And, like, if there's anything, like, uh, emotionally unstable, you know, Jedi, it, it, which isn't good for them to come across, it's, like, a, a, a parent that they weren't yeah. able to save, you know? And, like, I think, like, just the holocrons there, you know? And like, but maybe Bas like Revan's the one who finds it because like, Basla just like you know, wasn't thinking about it mm-hmm. or something, and then kind of gives it to her later. But I think like just kind of keep the constellations like maybe it's like they have to kind of find the alignment like and like the the star maps kind of hint to that, and like maybe that's the the stars that we we see like uh, at the the title yeah. crawl or something. I don't know. I'm just trying to yeah. keep things fresh. Yeah, um, so. you mentioned the data pad from her dad there and Revan finding it. Uh, it could be interesting to have Revan find it and not tell her because she's you know, starting to be a little bit afraid about how she's not able to find her dad. Maybe she you know, is talking about how he's supposed to be there and how there should be signs of him being there. And like I said, looking a little afraid and maybe he purposefully kind of keeps that from her. Uh, what do you think about that? I think, like, maybe have her make the decision to give it to her mom would be good. But, like, honestly, like, I don't think the game kind of makes a big of deal as they probably should. Like, uh, her father was a treasure hunter and is kind of, like, finding a lot of the things, like, ancient star Mm -hmm. maps, you know? And, like what her life could have looked like even if she wasn't a Jedi, like she was probably gonna be finding these star maps and like I think I've mentioned like a really cool like T V spot could be like why did you give me up to the Jedi? And then it's like because we didn't want you to risk your life like trying to find like these ancient star maps and like you could show her risking her life like fighting against like creatures or Sith and it's like finding literally star maps that like are like buried treasure mm-hmm. you know i don't know that's what i think but what were you thinking dennis um 
Yeah, I mean, I think that I I I do think that it's very it's a very important um, quest in in general just for Bastila's character because aside from that, Bastila is just like the romantic interest in the in this like a lot of what her side quest is is getting closer and closer to like Revan, mm-hmm. and once this comes in, it actually gives like another dimension to her character that she can't be super closed off about. Um, you know, cause every time that you try to talk to her about anything in the game, it's just, oh, you know, she's just shut off. Oh, I'm the perfect Jedi. I can't do that. And suddenly something comes along from her past and she almost completely loses that. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So we found the star map then. So that kind of wraps up, uh, what the mission is to get accomplished here on Tatooine. At least, did Calo Nord already happen? Uh, yeah, uh, Cassia left Calo Nord back on Terrace to never be seen from <laughs> again. I think. Yeah, but Brian, I think had him on on Kashik. I I just think he's just like a I don't know. Sometimes just when they when I can tell like they're like oh they just wanted to make a a Boba Fett stand in. I was just like eh, no <laughs> yeah um, no. But yeah, so I, th- there's a ton of stuff on Tatooine, right? So um, you could, depending, well, if if you're playing the game, depending on the order you do, you could have the run-in with Kalinord. Um, like I'd mentioned, there's the side quest with Candorus that is there. Um, you know, there's swoop bike racing. There's all sorts of other kind of side missions in Tatooine. So we're going to have to kind of decide what we want to keep and what we want to have go because it's going to be a big section. Uh, so as far as uh, film would go, Dennis, um, are there other things that you would like to see? Or, you know, how much time do you think we need to spend in tattooing uh, in terms of a film? Now, the way Cassie and I are laying out the film is we're doing tattooing, Manon, and then the Leviathan. Uh, so what do you think? Are there other aspects of tattooing that we didn't... Uh, kind of go over in our little run through right here that you think are really important for the story or uh, uh, what do you think? How much time should we dedicate to uh, spending uh, on this planet? Um, I don't think we need to be here for that long. I think that mostly just, you know, the Bastila thing needs to happen. And, uh, you know, obviously the main star map quest, which includes the, the Tuscan Raiders, and HK-47, besides that, nothing else really needs to happen here because it doesn't serve, like, the greater mm-hmm. story. And it doesn't serve, um, you know, like, this this uh, this middle part of, of the story, if, if this is a movie. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I agree. And I think that you could still have some of that stuff uh, happen off screen. So um, when I'm kind of plotting out how I would want the film to go uh, when I get to Tatooine. I think that the Candorous side quest actually is pretty important, but I think that that by and large could play off off screen. You know, you just get Candorous saying, oh, or, you know, it gets tipped off that Jaggy's there or someone sees him and tells him that Jaggy's there. Um, so Candorous kind of leaves the party, right? And then we're reunited with him, you know, as we're heading off planet. So I think that some of that stuff can happen, but it can happen off screen and we just get, you know, sort of sort of mentions of it or we can kind of you know cut over to sort of the you know culmination of that confrontation or or whatever but 
I would be worried to spend too much time here because you have Tatooine. That's a big part um, of the film. You have the Leviathan, which has the potential to be a really big part of the film. I would hate to think that Manon just feels like this super short kind of stop off without having a little bit of time to explore there. So, yeah, I think maybe somewhere just a little over a third, maybe like 40 percent ish of the of the movie. Uh, what about you, Cassio? What do you think pacing wise? How should we spend our time here on uh, Tatooine and how much time should that take up in the kind of overall film? I would say 30% at most. Um, This is meant to be like the fun part, like building the team, kind of establishing the rapport, you know, that the the Ebon Hawk crew would have, kind of introducing characters and like, um, kind of like delving deeper into the um, characters and uh, relationships Mm -hmm. established, you know, uh, in the first film. But um, yeah... I would say, like, in our in our film, like, Mission and Zalbar um, are on Kashyyyk, you know, like, Zalbar's, like, kind of taking over for his people kind of there, and Mission is there. Like, it makes more sense, like, for them to kind of, like, that's the, the family they found. They'll be back, you know, for the mm-hmm. the battle, you know, with the, the Starforge, kind of mostly because they invite themselves because they wanted to protect them, but... I would say, like, a big chunk, I think Manon is interesting because it's something we haven't really seen before. It's kind of like a Cold War rather than an all-out war like the Clone Wars or the the Rebels versus mm-hmm. the Imperials. Like, the, the Cellcath are kind of like, we're going to play this for our advantage. Like, you have to be at peace. Like, we're a neutral planet. Yeah. Um, if, you wanna, if you want the Kulto, you have to abide by our rules. So it's like you really get to play with the, the secretive spy kind of stuff, which I'm more interested in than like zombie fish, scary big fish, you know? I like I like playing with the, the kind of Cold War spy themes and like, it's kind of like, kind of mirroring like the balance of the force. It's like half Republic, half Sith, like the force is in balance. It could go either way, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like, in a lot of ways, like, Revan could go light, he could go dark, Basla could go light, could go dark, you know, the galaxy could go light, could go dark, which I'm more interested in, like, kind of delving underneath and, like, you have to deal with a, a trial on Manon and it's like, how could this person lie to someone? And, like, like if Basla just kind of has to be like, yeah, I mean, who who could, like, keep it a secret like that mm-hmm. from from someone you know and, and lie like that would be crazy you know like uh and then jolie kind of like i ba- jolie like knows that revan is revan and like probably could have like an interesting conversation where like the audience probably doesn't understand what's being talked about but like bastila and jolie mm-hmm. know what's going on and it's like yeah like lots of layers it, it, it would be fun and then like the leviathan like kind of like it's a they're captured and then they need to be broken out and like who I see them breaking out like the Ebon Hawk crew is Candrus kind of like with renewed determination to help his friends and then mm-hmm. Juhani like after Dantooine w- was hit you know like being like I need I need to save these people who helped me last time like and then like she would replace uh 
Bastila as, as the uh, Jedi mm-hmm. in, in the next film. Yep. You know, so. The moral of the story here is we don't want to dwell too much on tattooing because there's a lot more good stuff to cover in this film. So, yeah, it's just it's tricky to decide what you want to cut and what you definitely want to have happen uh, here in this section of the film. Yeah. So um, I think I think does uh, anyone else have anything to add about Anchorhead and our time here on Tatooine? Um, no. No. It, uh, plenty of fun to be had on Tatooine, so. That's right. That's why, that's why we keep turning back up and Tatooine where the twin suns burn bright. So, well, uh, Dennis, thank you very much for joining us and, uh, talking about what you have going on and talking with us about all this crazy Tatooine stuff. Why don't you tell... Yeah. yeah. Why don't you tell everyone uh, listening out there where they can find you and follow along with your projects and, you know, what you've got on. And uh, if you have any, you know, tidbits about things that are in the works, uh, anything you want to send out there, uh, go for it. Yeah. Um, yeah. You can find me. Most of my social media is at DS Mowers Music. And that's also my website, dsmowersmusic.com. Uh, Facebook at Dennis Mowers music. And yeah, the project is the project Kotor Live is going finally in motion. Um, if you want to support what I'm doing and keep me going on that project and other projects, I also have a Patreon. It's uh, DS Mowers music. So um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, everyone make sure you go and uh, give Dennis a follow on social media and check out uh, his website for the projects and uh, look him up on Patreon. And if you are a game developer, reach out to me and we can talk about uh, what we can do for your game. So, Yeah, that's awesome. So definitely good luck with that. And yeah, make sure, um, like I said, make sure you're following Dennis on, on all the, uh, the social media stuff and check out his website and, uh, you know, get in, uh, touch with him, uh, see what he's got going on, and make sure you're following along with us so you can uh, get in on the uh, awesome lo-fi music he's been creating for the podcast. So, Thanks for coming on. All right. Thank you. And you can find us on Instagram at Podcast. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me on Instagram. It's at astro underscore droid underscore. The Ebon Hawk can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, as well as everywhere else that Anchor Podcasts are distributed. Subscriptions, reviews, and shares help us out. Our intro and outro themes were composed by Alistair Schuerman at alistairsounds.wixsite.com forward slash Alistair Sounds. Our transition music was composed by Christian Walker at christianwalkermusic.com. This episode of the Ebon Hawk Podcast has been brought to you by Nikki Dog from Patreon. May the force be with you. We'll be back soon. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.